Radio in South Africa. It's time for The Long and Short of It with Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long and the Short of It. I'm Simon Hill. Yeah, and I'm Dylan Rogers. No, Dale Hayes. Uh, you know, someone, someone's going to go to the PGA show oh, shame. in Orlando and Dale actually traveling back as we speak. He gets his own aircraft. He's that big. <laughs> Do you remember that movie Operation Dumbo Drop? The aircraft oh, flies loving low. you. Yeah. Loving the, you. The aircraft flies low over Swartkop and they just drop Dale out in a big crate. I'm home. <laughs> yeah, so no, Dale, Dale on the podcast. We love you, Dale. Yeah, we love you. We do. Uh, love you, Dale. The podcast, as always, brought to you by our good friends yeah. at Play Athol Golf and Equestrian Estate, home of the South African Open. Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, Bill. also the ultimate and secure luxury estate living, and like you said, si, the host venue of the 2022 Investec SA Open Championship. But Play Athol lifestyle is a priority with a range of outstanding facilities, along with easy access to nearby schools and close proximity. Lanseria International Airport. Visit BlairAthel.coza, BlairAthel, an unparalleled living experience. And wonderful to have, and I say this with the greatest amount of respect, but a journeyman yep. on the podcast South today. African journeyman, yeah. Yeah, Justin Walters. Now, I mean, I'm a, obviously an avid golf fan, so are you, but not everyone might know of, of Justin Walters. Yeah. So I've been on the tour for, I think, about a decade now. He's in his early 40s, um, achieved some good results. Uh, by his own admission, hasn't done what he'd like to achieve in terms of winning on the DP World Tours, won in the Sunshine Tour. But he has a really interesting story to tell. But we started the chat with a topic that's on everyone's lips. Live golf. Joining us on the Long and Short of It podcast, South African tour professional Justin Walters. He joins us from Raz al on the Middle Eastern Swing. Justin, thanks Gee, it always seems to be an interesting week or two in golf. I mean, there's a bit of a lull over the Christmas period as the as the tours take a break. But here we are in the Middle East. You've come out of Dubai and once again, golf, I wouldn't say dominating the headlines, but controversy once again thrust into the spotlight all around Live Golf, the likes of McElroy, the likes of Reed. For a player on the tour and, and close to the action, what's it been like for you? If I was to say one word, I would say that's, I think with me and a lot of players are a bit desensitized to it now. It's been going on for a while now, and I don't think it's quite as uh, talked about as it, um, as it is amongst maybe golf fans or media or other outlets. I think some of the players are kind of at that point now where they would like to just get on with things, if you know what I mean. Um, it's a bit childish, yeah. and obviously it, it, there are obviously ramifications, don't get me wrong, but I think from a player standpoint, we are um we we would like to just you know things to get started and going and kind of have a bit of peace and allow us to do our, our profession let the clubs do the talking and uh, and so the fans can benefit from from uh, our level of play but uh, i wasn't aware of what had happened over christmas with rory i don't uh, know the reasons why he was suspended obviously he's very involved but to do it on christmas day or eve yeah. is uh i think there's a way in, way of doing things obviously if Rory's very involved and outspoken about something you know there's obviously going to be repercussions to that but then you know if you want to have it be a bit of a class act don't do it on Christmas Eve and I feel like without the details behind it I don't really know I think that was obviously by design cause as much um, problems as possible you can always uh, you know when you can send those things and when you can't and Obviously, that's something he's decided to do, and uh, I, 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 for one, don't blame Rory for feeling the way he does. And 
it was nice to see Rory win, um, not just from a live, non-live point of view. It just, I think, uh, everything that he does for the game of golf, for European Tour, and obviously being outspoken and and picking up for for things, it, it was just good to see him win and and take that uh, those moments and produce what he did because uh, it, it obviously became a bit personal and uh, it was it, it made for good golf in a way. So mm. I suppose. Uh, it, it dialed up the, the heat a little bit more and maybe golf's missing that a little bit at the moment too. Well, as you say that, I've got Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People in front of me. <laughs> and the chapter one is actually don't subpoena someone on Christmas Eve. I, I mean, jeez. <laughs> Well, but Justin, what was, what was the what is the vibe like? I mean, how close were you guys? You know, obviously, you know, it played out in the media. Someone got hold of that video of of, of Rory blanking Patrick Reed on the on the driving range, Reed flicking a tee at him, and, and once you know the video was out, it sort of seemed to gather pace. What did you guys, as the players around involved in the tournament, make of it? And, and how much did you see? It and and what was the the mood or the climate around the around the locker room? Oh, what's the goss? Well, look, I think personally, from my point of view, judging and looking at Patrick Reed, he looks like he needs needs to pick a fight to, to produce good golf. Yeah. He seems to be that sort of character. I don't know if, you know, if you, I'm not comparing him to Michael Jordan, but if you take Michael Jordan, he always needed to pick a bone with someone to really bring the best out of him. So maybe I feel like that's what Rory, uh, I mean, if Rory, that's what Patrick seems to do or need. And, uh, um, you know, I, I wasn't aware it had happened until it kind of broke out, and uh, I find it humorous, really, most of the time. It's just, <laughs> I mean, everyone has their reasons, and there's just ways about going about things, and I just don't think uh, Patrick Reed really displays behavior that I admire very much, personal note. So uh, I wasn't surprised that he did something, and I think a lot of the players... Uh, given um, some of his discretions with rules in the past, um, we even had one on set on well yeah. say Saturday yeah. or Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Tea gate <laughs> I just don't think he does himself any favors, and just his behavior is not really that welcome. And I think that was probably the mood behind the scenes with the players. You know, here's a player that really doesn't care about DP World. Essentially, he's there to to play because he can, and for whatever reason, we've given him uh, honorary membership. And he's taken advantage of that and playing in these events. You know, if, if I was in that kind of situation and it uh, extended, extended that uh, honor to me, I wouldn't come and show up at an event where, you know, it's one of our prize events and just stir the pot and cause crap, you know. And I think, uh, I won't mention any players, but I think that's what players got upset about, you know, is, is a guy that, uh, it, he, he's not out here much. And when he is, he just wants to, you know, uh, ruffle the feathers a bit and I think uh, uh, the players are cut tired of it really um, I don't appreciate it but uh, you know you've got to give the guy some sort of credit because even with all of that heat and all of that exposure and that mess he was all still able to go out and produce the golf he did and then he does seem to play his, to you're right though he does seem to play his best golf when there's some sort of oh, fight, fight in the guy yeah, he loves it obviously had the Ryder Cup uh, you know the, the match he took down Rory a couple of years ago there was the Masters final round where even though he was American at the Masters is arguably more people pulling for, for McElroy in that final round so he does seem to thrive in it doesn't he? he yeah I mean like, like I said I think he walked over to Rory with I mean obviously expecting some sort of negative reaction and I don't think he's the kind of guy would have, would have you know off the cuff of Rory blanking him oh I'm just going to throw a tee at him you know 
I think he's gone over there with a tea in his pocket, anyways, ready to cause some crap. So, yeah. Look, I didn't. I don't sit down with Rory and ask him about any stuff. I don't know well enough, but I'm pretty sure Patrick Reed went there with some sort of agenda, knowing that Pat, that Rory would act in a certain way, and he was prepared, and and he got he got a little bit going. And if there's anything I've learned from this whole thing and behind the scenes, you know, live and certain people are quite uh, keen to to disrupt and cause problems, and uh, you know, there's you could easily think that maybe someone you know said hey while you're there let's let's do something let's uh cause a little bit of uh commotion bring a little more heat to the situation a little more exposure for our tour and uh you know he's there at our one of our marquee events wearing a live hat and causing trouble so i don't know if he's all come up with all of this on his own I, i'd be really surprised if he has i feel like there's a certain level of coaching going on behind the scenes with the with the live guys and uh i think they they they've been taught how to meddle a little bit and cause cause trouble so we had the legendary david ferity on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and obviously he's made his stance clear but when we asked him about the whole live dp world tour pga tour relationship his answer was quite simple he says everyone just needs to lighten the fuck up would you agree with that i mean look i think my stance is i think the game of golf has lost out really and i think the fans are losing out i think there was a massive opportunity for all of us to or all of our tours to use this to elevate the game to one of the highest levels it could ever have gone you know, it would have been nice if we could have just taken the power of the Saudis and the money they were bringing and just found a way to all get on. It would have been great. I agree. In other words, lighten the fuck up. But I think the rhetoric that uh, was brought to the table from the get-go by, you know, Greg and, you know, some of the, the little people just made everyone circle the wagons early, you know, and I don't think that was ever going to be the chance for that to happen. If you come out and say, we're coming for you and we want to shut you down and cause disruptions, there's no real space or opportunity to lighten the fuck up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, I personally think everyone's at fault. There's not just the live side. It would have been nice if our side and, and PJ Tour could have found a way to coexist because I think then the whole of the game of golf would have won. Um, and now I think the game and the fans and um, that are, are losing out a little bit. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of players that have to thank Saudi. I mean, and and what they have done because not only the PGA Tour raised their purses, our tour has been underpinned by the PGA Tour. So I'm, you know, I'm getting a bigger paycheck from it, and so are a lot of players. So in a way, in a way, it has shaken things up. So there's some good and bad to it, definitely. Okay, so as we speak to you, we're preparing for the big arbitration that's happening next week, and you're on the players' committee. So you speak with. I think a fair amount of insight here. Before we chat about what could possibly transpire in the permutations there, I just want to get your your opinion on the South Africans involved. I mean, Justin Harding, one of the three guys that uh, put his case forward, he's the reason, and of course, uh, Adrian Otegi and Ian Poulter, you know, that the guys are still playing, the live guys are still part of, of DP World Tour events. Have you had a sit down with, with Justin and spoken to him about it? No, Justin's never really come to me and spoken to about him there's probably no need to do that, you know. He, I don't have any problem with Justin. I, you know, fully respect anyone's decision to go and play somewhere. Um, I think just from a tourist perspective, you know, there's certain things that the tour needs to be able to protect. You know, their their sponsors, their you know, their stakeholders, their tournament events, just to, to you know be able to offer a product with their best players. And you know, when there's weeks when they can't do that because other players want to go, or players want to go play somewhere else, it's it puts everyone in a tough situation 
there's no no easy way around or through this. Obviously, everything has to get laid out on the table, and uh, you know the arbitration has to make an idea. But I don't think uh, I don't think it's going to be a very easy thing, whichever way the the verdict comes out. So it would just be nice that Arthur could indeed say, hey, you know, we would prefer you to play in our event if you're labeled as that sort of a DP world player. We have a very big week this week. You know, it'd be nice if you could support us instead of going somewhere else. But, you know, at the end of the day, you see why players do do it because they have to make a living, they have to provide, they have to do all of that. So I think uh, a player should have the right, but I think a player should have the right, but also understand that whatever every decision comes consequences. And I guess that's really what's on the table here, right? You, you weigh up the opportunity to play for mega money, um, but then also at the same time, you don't want any consequences to go with it. So it's quite a, it's a quite a juggling act, and I don't know which way the chips are going to fall. I don't think anyone knows just yet from the discussions that we've had. It's an ongoing fluid situation. I think I think uh, they're a bit concerned either way, really. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, I think if you look at it from a live perspective, they'll argue, okay, well, you know, the guys get released. They're allowed to go play on the PGA Tour. I think you only need to play four events on the DP World Tour to to keep your status where you need to play something like 14 events on, on the PGA Tour to, to keep your invite. But they're saying that there's a precedent set that they let they release the guys, go play PGA Tour. Why can't the same thing happen here? Yeah, look, you can't compare our tour to the PGA Tour. I mean, we're two totally different um, entities. We are, in, you know, we're, we're a much smaller business and market and we're in a, in a very uh, tough place when it comes to putting on huge big events and when we do have those big events we need we need our players to play so i i don't think our tour is really interested in banning anyone i don't think that's ever been the rhetoric whereas the pj tour obviously want to ban their players and they can't play i don't think our tour wants to ban anyone really they they want to just have the ability to show a little bit of strength when they need to be able to protect a promoter or a sponsor that's putting up millions upon millions of dollars you know so um yeah they do get releases to play PGA Tour events. I don't know the full process of how that happens and uh, where it goes. But uh, some weeks, players weren't given releases to play on the PGA Tour, to my knowledge, and they were fine. I mean, that's not public knowledge, but there are instances where, you know, they don't don't always release them to play if it's not in the best interest of the tour. So, yeah, and then where do you draw the line there? How do you decide that? But I guess someone has to make that decision. and. I guess we employ people to do that, and those are the decisions they've made, and uh, this is how they feel like they can best protect the interests of our tour. Justin, it's been well documented that, that the South Africans traditionally and over the years on the DP World, you know, previously the European Tour, now the DP World Tour, do like to congregate, get together, kind of not stick together you know, exclusively, but uh, but bandy together to, to, to form a bit, a bit of a group. You know, South Africans like to enjoy each other's company, the, you know, stories of brides out on the DP World Tour. Um, you mentioned Justin Harding and you've got no problem with him, but has has Live Golf tested some of those relationships, those long-standing relationships you've had with guys, fellow South Africans? No, I don't think so, really. If I'm honest with you, there's obviously a, a, a huge, fresh crop of youngsters coming up from South Africa. I would consider myself an um now, Archer, really. We um, would as well. Yeah, grand, old age of 40, <laughs> grand old age of 42, yeah. <laughs> Definitely one of the older South Africans where... You know, when I first came out, I'd look up to Ernie, Darren Pickard, Henny Otto, those sort of guys that had been run of the mill, been through all the trials and trepidations. And yeah, you would go and have a bribe with them. 
listen to them and hear what they have to say and try and glean information from them. And uh, I, there were certain amount of guys out here that held everyone together. And then, uh, you know, there's a bit of a shift the last few years where we're getting a lot, lot of youngsters coming through where they kind of done it their own way. They don't really seek or look to hang out with anyone else. And I, I feel like the South African band could do with, a few more bribes. It would be nice if we could do that. Um, okay, so, so, so things, uh, things have changed, you say, the last couple of years. I, I would say we have COVID to blame for that because it yeah. kind of shattered our, our our ability to kind of hang out together. I remember we tried to do a bri in Wales at Celtic Manor and just we got shut down, you know. Mm. And I don't think we really, I think Brandon Stone bought £300 worth of, you know, bri flows. <laughs> and we all, we were putting it all in the fridges in our rooms and, uh, they wouldn't allow us to do yeah. the bribe because it was a game. Well, if it was mutton, the Welsh would have had a problem with that. <laughs> God, yeah, they love their COVID, sheep. COVID regulations kind of put a lot of hold on uh, on that. I think off the back of that, you know, it's really hard to kind of put together a bribe. I know uh, Wentworth, we used to do a huge thing. Kevin Peterson's place, all the South Africans would always show up. You know, we'd do that. And if, uh, Alfred Daniel, Mr. Rupert would put on an amazing evening on Tuesday for all the South Africans. So there were always these kind of weeks that kind of, you know, they weren't close together, but they kind of kept everyone together. And uh, and now it's, it just seems a little bit difficult. I don't think anyone has any um, animosity or anything. I just feel like people have learned over the last few years what we dealt with just to kind of, you know, find someone that you enjoy hanging out with and do that because that's what we're, we're told to do in COVID. And, and uh, I just don't see us relearning how to do that just yet. And it should be a push because I think, you know, we're the second largest contingent of uh, players out here. And uh, I think it would be amazing if if we could just try and get everyone together and have a bri. So um, it's, it needs to happen. And maybe I need to, to be the one that kind of tries to put something together because I loved it when I came on. So I just I loved being around South Africans and, and talking and catching up and, and doing that thing. And uh it would be nice. So I think, you know, with a new breed of youngsters, they, they, they know what they're doing and they're so successful already that uh, a lot of them come up with their own, their own cat and their own mates and they kind of tired at the end of the day of hard work and they go and have a meal and go to bed and, you know, go and try and do it all again. Justin, with all of that in mind, I want to know who's the handiest round the bri of the South African tour pros you've, including those you've played with previously and those you're still out on tour now. Sean Norris and, and Dean Bermister. Ah. Sean just gets to a bri a little bit too late. So I think you have a few drinks before you the bright starts. And then uh, <laughs> and then it, you know, then then we have another few drinks and then the bri might sometimes just doesn't happen. But Yeah, but you know no, Justin, you know the Afrikaans guys love eating at like eleven, twelve at night. <laughs> I know, and that's probably why we can't do any prize anymore. You know, everyone's up at 6 a.m. all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gone are the days when you have a chop and a dope and then you go and tear it up and you smash it, you know. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say those are the guys that I learned the most from, Brian. Um, the Dean, Dean's one of my very best mates, and uh, he uh, he taught me a few things on the bribe, but I've had loads of bribes with Sean. Sean Sean's uh, very handy around the bribe. As we segue from that, then there must be a, you know, a master in charge of music. Then, uh, who's usually the dab hand uh, on the tunes? Who's got the best and the worst taste in music? Then, you know, the, the, actually, funny enough, the guy that has the best uh, music is is Garth Milne, our trainer. He trains a few of the South Africans, and he would we'd always be in the gym, and, and loads of players would always say, "Hey, where, who's mixing this? What's going on here?" 
and it would be him and he's quite good he loves loves uh loves a bit of a mix and some music so i would say even though he's not a player he's part of the family out here he's the one with the best music in my opinion you mentioned Dean Burmester being being a mate of yours, and, and there's no doubt that that a, that a cause close to your hearts is is the Birdies for Rhinos cause. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I mean, it, it's well documented, sort of the, the general premise of it. But how did it all come about? You know, I, I got to spend a little bit of time out here with Ernie when I first came out, and you know, as a youngster, I really admired what he did on the golf course. Like everyone, it was amazing what he did. But I think the more time I spent out here, I was more more impressed with what he was doing off the golf course, if that makes sense. And, I, and you're not talking about remember, in the <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm talking from a charitable point of view. Oh, okay. yeah. right. And uh, I played in, in Ernie Elspin Invitational and it was just amazing touching to see, you know, the money he was raising and what he was doing. And I, it kind of struck a chord in me. I was like, well, what are you doing yourself, Justin, to to improve your footprint on this world? What are you giving back? You can't just take, take, take. And I, I didn't actually know what I wanted to do or how to do, but I, I asked myself that question. And it was about, I want to say it was almost a year later, I had a late tea time at the Alfred Dunhill down at Leopard Creek. And I went into the Kruger and came across some rhino and I just turned the engines off and uh, just had one of these moments of clarity. I don't know, it just kind of dawned on me and I was like, wow. Looking at the animals, I was aware of the plight that they were going through and, and what was happening. And I just said, you know, I really need the help. This is something I need to get involved in. I'm so passionate about the bush. I love animals and I, I find I have a kind of a rhino mentality to life. So I identify with the animal itself. I just, it was just in that moment, I was like, I want to help. I didn't know how or what I was going to do. And then it was about three, three months later at Vancourt. I woke up uh, literally, no lie. It was four in the morning. I woke up and it's just birdies for rhinos. Just kind of popped into my head and I couldn't sleep. I thought about it for so long. This is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. It just, it all kind of just spewed out of me. You know what I mean? And I woke up, got, came downstairs at about seven in the morning eventually. And my agent was awake, Ali Miller, and uh, told him what I want to do. He's like, this is amazing. I love it. How can I help? And I was like, well, we need a logo and things like that. So within 40 minutes, he'd already designed the logo. I loved it. And then uh, Dean, Dean, I had breakfast with Dean two hours later. I was like, hey, Dean, this is my idea. What do you think? And he's like, absolutely love this i really want my kids to to see and enjoy this animal and, and their kids and I, I said well you know this is what i'd like to do what do you think he's like i'm in let's do it so it actually started at fan court that day and then not even two hours later i bumped into mark boucher and i was like hey Bouch, what do you think about this idea this is what we're going to do i want to raise some money and i want to put it your way because he had the, his uh, involvement with rhinos and he said oh that's amazing thank you how cool. So it kind of all kicked off from not knowing what to do and how to do it within the space of six, seven hours. We'd come up with a name, a logo, already had Dean on board and we'd really kind of align ourselves with a legendary cricketer and his, his program. And uh, that's kind of how it all kicked off. And, uh, um, shortly after that, several players came on board. I uh, approached Justin Rose and Rosie joined us quickly. For a while there, we had more international players helping than we did South Africans. But in the last few years, we've had a lot of South Africans come on board and support us. And we're up to 21 players. Sadly, Justin Rose hasn't continued this year, but it's not common knowledge yet. Um, I did announce it at Leopard Creek, um, but Tommy Fleetwood is, is coming oh, on board. Amazing. Which amazing. Is, which is huge. Tommy, obviously, you know, winner of Africa's major 
we spoke to him through a mate of ours called Mark uh, Scumbi, and he uh, knows knows the family well, and, and obviously by Tommy so so touched by Africa and South Africa, he he was just like, this is great. I'd love to be involved. How can I do it? So we're just kind of formulating how that we're going to go about that, and uh, and that's really exciting news. And we're just trying to raise money, but you know, off the back of me, Dean, and Ali, we've got it to a point now where it's in such a good place but it, it, we need help to now take it on to the next level and we're no longer with Bouch because obviously Bouch got quite busy with you know his his coaching and 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 all of that so we moved over to um Doc Watson you know obviously I'm very good friends with Doc mm. and he was at Die Data where we started the project and I actually he was my partner a couple of years and I told him his story and he's like look just I love what you're doing I mean here are a couple of my ideas because he's very very involved in conservation and uh, he said we started this foundation with Cisco and we we building technology that's going to really change the landscape of conservation and uh, we would love for you to be involved with us and so I moved all of our funding and all of our direction under connected conservation which now is uh you know started with a test pilot project down in the savi sands where they'd lost nearly 50 rhino in one year where we went through a period of three four years where we didn't lose a rhino and the the, the technology was incredible and uh so we just track humans now we don't we leave the animals alone and we track humans and we prevent them from actually getting in and, and our response time we made everything real time wi-fi based our own networks there's you know, I can't give away too much of the technology, but literally yeah. everything is just live feed. A, a ranger can be in the field with six monitors on a little, and everything will reach him in real time. So we brought down the response time from 30 minutes in that game reserve if there was an incursion to under five anywhere in the park. And uh, just all the sort of stuff we, you know, we, we've been doing and we've been developing the technology with that. And, uh, we now have 50 projects worldwide that are lined up wanting to, to take part in the technology. And we're not only protecting rhinos, we're now protecting all animals, all species around the world. The technology that uh, has been employed can be used to protect the whales and dolphins in the oceans, can protect tigers in the forests, it can protect, you know, it's, it's just massive. Justin, the doors we've sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but can it protect people in Joburg from tigers? I don't know whether you've been following the news. <laughs> we, we need, we need that protection now. Please. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll send some, some uh, you know, those these cameras that can sense movement from five kilometers away and uh, they'll tell you when one's coming. Oh, thanks. You speak about it so passionately. Is this, I, I'm on the website. I don't know how accurate the stats are. It says 782 birdies so far this year. I, don't, I, I think that, that, might, that sounds a little bit outdated, but what did you raise last year? Um, we still just tallied it up, but um, if you go onto our, our Insta Birdies for Rhinos, um, there's a leaderboard there that's updated every every uh, month. And Dean Bamster won it last year with 492 birdies, which is pretty incredible. And Oliver Becker was 491. So just those two players, yeah, way more than 792. So that that's incorrect. But uh, from the year before, we raised half a million rand. We've done quite a lot of money aside from that with some corporates and things like that. But just from the players' money themselves, because we donate our own money. Yeah, that's yep. how that's how I, was, I put in five pounds for every birdie. I make hundred grand roughly, and so does Dean. So other players, Richard Bland, uh, he's one of the passionate guys in birdies for rhinos, and he does twenty pounds a birdie. Wow. I mean, he, he needs to he needs to push it to fifty now that he's playing low. But, um, 
Absolutely. Uh, so on that basis, you're quite happy with Liv then? <laughs> From that point of view, look, I've always liked Blandy. And you know, you take someone like Blandy, how can you how can you hold it against him for for playing Liv? I mean, he's nearly fifty. He's had a wonderful career the last few years, and you know, he's cashing in. You know, and uh, I don't hold that against him. But yeah, as long as he spreads the love with the Rhinos, um, if he doesn't, then I'll have a problem with him. Yeah. He knows that. I'll tell I'll tell him, but he's always giving me shit, so um <laughs> and I'm just I'm always telling him he's not making enough fairies. So goes both ways. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it goes both ways. But um yeah, it's just it's look, I don't know where would it would go and where it would how it would go about it, but uh, you know, it was quite chilling to sit there and have coffee with Tommy and Claire Fleet Fleetwood and sit there with a superstar saying, How do I help? You know, how do I what do we need to do to, to make this work? And I'm seeing thinking, just truly amazing. You know, it's, um, it's amazing the potential we have, you know, the ideas of people are bringing to us. We just, I think we need to start raising enough money now where we can have someone on, on board full time, just managing it. Because then I think we can really, really, you know, go somewhere with it. We had our first birdies for Rhino's golf day at uh, CCJ. I saw that. looked amazing. Uh, the support yeah. looked fantastic. We had some great cricketers and some celebrities come help us. We raised 300,000 rand in one day. Just all of these little things, you know, and I've got people messaging me saying, hey, you know, I've just played in our, our little, you know, our Saturday uh, match at Kyle Army and I made five birdies today. I'm going to send, you know, 500 rand your way. And just all these little things that, you know, special people around the world where it's actually the concept is touched they are getting involved, they're buying hats, they're buying the merch and helping us. And I think the big role, you know, I feel a huge burden these days to to show not only transparency to uh, to the players, but to bring them value to, and bring value to people that actually are involved in this and want to help us and show, hey, this is what we're doing. This is the difference it's making. It's very difficult to get that message across and keep people engaged with it because, you know, that's, that's the end of the day, the reason why they do it in the first place. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why may, maybe Rosie, you know, he has a lot of charitable stuff going on. And maybe that's why they decided to slim down because, you know, we didn't, we weren't able to engage and bring them involved enough to, to see the difference that they were actually making. So um, it's, uh, it comes with a lot of challenges at the moment. And it would be nice, I think, in the next few years if we could, uh, just keep growing and having players join us and fans and corporates and whoever has a you know has an interest in just protecting our our amazing wildlife that we have not only in South Africa, all over Africa and all over the world. And I I would be lost if I wouldn't be able to watch wildlife yeah. um, to have a moment and sit by a fire and hear hear animals at night. And it just for me it's my soul. It's um it's what makes me tick, and uh, and and I want my kids to to experience that, and I want other ch- their children to do so as well. Well, listen, I mean, you've got Burmester, you've got Becker, you've got Tommy Fleetwood now, who started off the year and ended off last year amazingly. So I guarantee you, that I think there'll be a, a shit ton of birdies there. Uh, you've got Ryan Fox yeah. as well, yeah, DP it's, World Tour player yeah. player of the year. I Ryan mean, Fox, yeah. you know, he's yeah. no slouch. Molinari uh, got some big names. Yeah. We've got some big names and people with even bigger hearts. And I think that's the, that's the key here, really. They, they're great players, amazing players. But when you sit and have dinner with them, they're just, they're just ordinary people that want to help. And I think that's, that's the thing that's touched me the most about it. It's a simple concept and it's, 
it's uh it's making people want to get involved and uh, it makes them want to try and help and it, it, the burden falls on me to show that they are helping and they are making a difference and uh talking to you guys about it and spreading the word and you know now that Burmese over on the PJ Tour in America hopefully he can recruit a few more players hopefully you know I know he's been speaking to MJ Daffy a lot and he's interested and you know, other other PGA Tour players. I know to, Tommy will probably try and push put the pressure on a few people, hopefully. So yeah, I mean, look, it's nice that it's growing and it's nice that it's making a difference. And hopefully, we can make a difference. We've, oh, it's we're losing the battle. If I'm honest with you, yeah. um, I think uh, I don't know if we can survive at all. Certainly, the dehorning stuff is going on around the, the country right now is is making a difference in buying us some time, but it's not a solution. And uh, this is what scares me the most. So you know, we could probably talk about it, raise as much money as possible. At the end of the day, when you can sell a rhino horn for three quarters of a million dollar on the black market, there's always going to be willing someone willing to to take that risk to to kill an animal for it. So yeah, until we can until we can stop the demand. And that's just one of the ways of helping. We're, we're going to be having this discussion for a while longer, I think. Well, it's it's education as well, isn't it? It's debunking myths thousands of years old. It's a whole educational drive behind it, isn't it? Look, if you if you look at it, there's I think there's you know about five or six ways you need to approach this. You know, there's education, um, there's prevention. Um, we're more on the prevention kind of side of things. There's awareness, there's prosecuting people that are obviously doing these horrible crimes. There's stopping the, the money, you know, with, uh, you know, HSBC and a lot of, a lot of banks are, you know, really trying to help crack down the flow of cash around, surrounding this sort of stuff. And I know America, USA has just come on board with tracking and stopping uh, funds that have been procured from wildlife, uh, illegal wildlife trading. You know, it, things are starting to move and shake in the right direction. But uh, yeah, the, the biggest thing of all is for for us to teach the youngsters in, in the countries, I'm not going to name the countries, but the countries that are consuming this product, to say, you know, it's just some fingernails. You know, essentially that's what a rhino horn is. It's, yeah, yeah. it's our, our fingernails. It's, the, it's, a, it's a portion of that. And it has no medicinal properties. It can't do, you know, it can't give you virility. It can't help with what you think it can help. And if we can turn the youngsters into that realm where they go, well, this is not something I need to do, and then turn on the older generations as the older generations die out and we bring the, the younger generation to the forefront with that are more educated and more aware of, of things, then I think there's a chance we can actually save a species because. Yeah. If we reach that that point where the youngsters kind of take over a little bit, then I think rhino and other animals have a chance. So uh, that's obviously a cause close to your heart, Justin. Let's let's talk a little bit more about Justin Walters, the the tour pro. So South African, uh, born but with an English mother, um, at college yes. uh, at college in the states. So you you've been around a bit, and now you base yourself in the UK. So I, I know you obviously identify as a as a South African, you are South African, but you, you actually represented uh, England in, in, in team play as a youngster. I did, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of like a, one of those, uh, you know, you see one of those dogs down in South Africa and you're not sure really <laughs> of its what origins. It is, what, <laughs> what its origin is. I'm, you know, I kind of fall under that line. I'm quite an interesting character. You know, obviously my mom came down to South Africa on holiday and she never went home. 
she just loves South Africa so much. And uh, so she's here illegally. She went on. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'll well, need her address, please, her. Justin. I've got to report this to the authorities. Well, bless her heart, she's not with us anymore. So yeah, I oh. think uh, she, she's okay. No, it's fine. Don't <laughs> Sorry. worry. Um, oh, my bad. Take Sorry. I don't Sorry. take any offence. Well, you were one up on me earlier. I'd, I'd call us even now. Yeah, you so, definitely. Well, um, I'd say that's uh, that's that's straight to strike for you. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't don't worry. Don't stress. Um, no, bless my parents. Both of them are no longer with us. But um, you, on that uh, note, Justin, you 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 were close to your father. Would you say a big influence on your career? I wouldn't be in this game if it wasn't for my dad. Um, he uh, he took me up to CCJ uh, when I was a very young child. At four, I remember teeing it up everywhere around Woodmead down the bottom and just using a tee everywhere because I think he believed that I should learn to hit the ball before I, you know, learn to struggle and rough and out of bunkers and all that. So I just, he took me around and I, I whacked a driver all the way around the golf course. And uh, that's kind of what got me going. I think uh, I had two older brothers, nine and seven years older than me, and uh, they were always in a different walk of life to me didn't have a brother I could play cricket with or tennis with or something. So, you know, growing up on a farm in Lanseria, you know, golf was uh, it was a you know good draw card for me because I didn't need anyone uh, there to, to entertain me. So I enjoyed the, enjoyed the challenge of the game, but I always played all the other school sports until I got to a certain age. Uh, I reached 16 and I injured my shoulder playing cricket, couldn't bowl anymore, and uh, kind of just gravitated towards golf. But... Um, yeah, then from there, I just took golf up full time and I, I was lucky enough to, to get the opportunity to go to America when I was 19 to a very small school in Alabama. It was quite a big move for me. You know, I was a young boy in South Africa, wet behind my ears and then suddenly woke up in Alabama uh, on a couch at two in the morning with jet lag and I had no idea what I was doing. But had I not done that move, I wouldn't be here where I am now and uh, I learned my tools of the tricks of the trade and sharpened my teeth in college golf and uh, was very successful at it so uh, but yeah um, you, sorry you say that Justin and you, you did go to a small school but someone else was there weren't they another South well, African I started, a, I started a small school yeah which was Craig Allen another South African he got me over there and um, but then yeah I uh, after two years at the small school and I should have elaborated on this earlier I, uh, I, I wanted to spread my wings a little bit and I needed to get into NCAA and NCAA is the big one Division one was where all the big players were. I was lucky enough to get over to NC State with the help of Ross Wellington. I, I spent, sent multiple letters to the coach and he just kept throwing my stuff in the bin, apparently. Eventually, I spoke to Ross. I was like, Ross, hey, you know, help a brother out. And he went and spoke to the coach and he started chatting to me. And, uh, yeah, before Ross, you know, Garth Malroy was there. And before Garth, there was um, Tim Clark and a few other top players. And so there's a bloodline of South Africans that have gone through NC State. We've had a few past me, behind me as well. So, yeah, NC State was a huge pivotal turn in my career. I, I got given access to amazing facilities. The competition was a joke, especially my senior year. I'd play number one for the team. I was playing with, you know, very household names that you would recognize now. And, you know, there were, you know, some weeks I was beating them, but mostly they were beating my brains and, and you had to get better. And it made me better and it made me the player I am today. So if it wasn't for NC State and golf and my coach there, I wouldn't. Uh, I also they formed a huge role in 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 me succeeding. It wasn't a very straightforward success, really. You know, I only got onto tour 
I graduated from college when I was 22 with a degree in tow, um, but uh, I didn't get onto a major tour until I was 33. So I kind of had 10 years of, you know, Sunshine Tour, which was great. Sunshine Tour is an amazing place for me to, I didn't lean on it as much during the year because I was always trying to campaign overseas, but certainly in the summer, it kind of funded my year. I'd come down and compete and play and hang out with all my friends and family and, uh, you know, fill my boots a little bit and then go overseas and try uh, try and keep going. So 10 years and then finally, you know, got through Challenge Tour and uh, been on this tour for 10 years and uh, still going. It hasn't come at a at a cost at times, but uh, it's very hard on the people around you and uh, your family. One thing that has really shaped my life and who I am and the person I am is, is when I was young, when I was four, I, I had a bad accident with my right eye. Yeah. I lost lost my sight um, pretty much. I have 30% vision in my right eye, so I'm legally blind in my right eye. And uh, so I essentially play golf with one eye. I've never asked for any kind of looked at differently because of it, but it's something that I've just dealt with and it's helped me shape me in the, into the person I am now. And it's helped me get through the tough times that this game presents you at times. And uh, I'm still here and I hope to go a few more years and hopefully the game will keep me around a little bit longer. I feel like I have some unfinished business. I've not won out here, come close many times. And uh, yeah, I just feel like I have it in me still. And I think that's what gets you up in the morning and, the hopes of hopes of lifting that trophy one day. I mean, that's such a big thing that you say that because, you know, you're competing against guys that are, are are young. They're hitting the ball a mile. The game's changed so much in the time that you know since you turned pro. It's just it's a different game. Well, yeah. I mean, to give you an example, I was going through some of the stats. I think even as much as last year. I think I might have just averaged around 300 yards on, so I might have dropped a little bit. And I think I was. Something like, I don't know, 70 something on the list. And this year, if I look, I looked on Sunday actually. My average this year was 315 yards off the tee. And you would think I would be top 30 and I'm ranked 80 something on tour. Crazy. That's crazy. It's it's just, well, I know we've only had five or six events, don't get me wrong. And it'll probably change when you hit Europe and the colder weather and, you know, things. We've been down in South Africa and, warm places here in the desert where it wasn't warm last week. You know, once we hit Europe and the cooler weather, all the figures start changing and the numbers drop. But never in my life have I averaged that much and been ranked that high uh, or that low. So the game is changing. The youngsters, as I said, I referred to earlier, aren't afraid. They don't feel like they need a, you know, a teething period or a time to kind of groom themselves to win. They, they come out and win their first event as a pro and that's it's impressive and you can just see the youngsters you watch college golf you watch junior golf in south africa wherever it may be it's what makes me get out of bed at night because those guys are gunning for me they they want to knock me right out of my my little spot because you know this is where they want to be yeah it's it's daunting at times but it's also there's times when uh, you think you know what i can do this you know, I was born to do this and I'm going to throw the whole kitchen sink in it. And when the director yells cuts, well, then I'll be happy because I've lived a good career and I've, I've given it everything I've had. That's all I could ever ask for myself. So what that amounts to in the years to come, I don't know. I've got an excellent team around me. They all believe me in me and uh, push me hard. And I think I've got some good stuff left in me still. I mean, it's, it's a way away, but would you potentially consider seniors tour or... I guess it depends how you feel at the time, if you feel you're still competitive, but 
or perhaps you say, okay, cool, I'm done. I want to focus on the rhinos. Cool. Um, at seniors tour is not something that's really ever been on the, on my agenda. I, I figured if, if I could make it to 45 and still have a body that kind of functions well enough to compete, I'll be quite happy. I mean, I think to get to 50, you've got to, you know, it's a special human being, you know, you think of someone that started when at whatever age, 15 and turned pro when they were 20, 22 and for 30 years, the stress and strains of travel and golf and all of that to make it to 50 is quite an accomplishment and then still have the drive, the willingness and the sacrifice away from your kids, your family, to pack a bag, to get on a plane, to check into a hotel. If you still have that drive at 50, then, you know, it's it's something to be said for that. And I can honestly say I don't know if I have that. I don't know if I have it yet. It's, uh, it's like you said, it's eight years away. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I'll still love the game then and want to do it. But, but the work I've done with, with Bertie Sarinas and, you know, meeting some amazing people and watching my kids grow up makes me just want to, you know, sometimes just take a check out and, and, and go and do those things a little bit while I can. But, uh, we all have our burdens to bear. And, uh, mine is obviously to provide for my children and my family and, the best way I know how to do that is to play this game. So I'll do that as long as I can. And I think I've always believed that you'll meet someone, you know, like a businessman or you know, opportunity will come up, come your way or, you know, maybe someone wants you to do commentary or whatever it may be. Yeah, you never I've know. always felt that you always feel like you, you, you have that moment where, you know, you can go left or right and right would be golf or left, whichever. And that moment hasn't come for me yet. I, I've come close. There's times when I've thought, you know, what am I doing? I just, I just don't have this in me. I mean, even today was tough. Just, you know, coming into a room and unpacking, and just, it's just you. You know, you're on your own and uh, with your own thoughts, and uh, you wonder how long you can manage all of that. I'd like to say I've got a few more years in me, and if it carries me to seniors and opportunities there, and I have the, the drive to to do it then maybe but uh, at the moment in time i think my children and uh, my passion for wildlife will probably take precedence well just to put it into perspective i'm looking at dylan across the way from me uh, he's in his late 40s and he looks absolutely shattered <laughs> i mean he is not he is not in good nick picture of health yeah I, <laughs> emaciated uh, life has just broken the man and I mean like there's no ways he could go and play I don't know he barely makes 18 these days so I mean I totally get where you're coming from <laughs> uh, the youngsters yeah, of today uh, Justin <laughs> no respect eh? Yeah. no respect I know no respect it's hard to get respect these days. you have to earn it eh? damn right uh, but, uh, um, but yeah no look the game we play is amazing and you you always have these moments and these times and you know, even well, it was Monday. Monday, I was you know, I barely scraped through the first cut, and then we had another cut on Saturday. I birdied nine on Saturday on the Saturday for the second round to, to even have a chance of making the cut. Yeah, made the cut, and then I played really poorly on Sunday, which was our third round. Found a way to uh, have a chance going on eighteen. I needed a birdie, and a mother hooked one into the grandstand, nearly killed a security guard, and uh, dropped it by the yards from the greens got up and down um and then barely made that cut i made it on the mark as they were cutting to 72 players uh came out the next day played with turrell Patton. i know turrell quite well what's he like he strikes me as a very interesting nuanced chap 
<laughs> Tyrrell was very misunderstood. I, I love Tyrrell. I think he's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I mean, he may do things that kind oh, of I think he's great. <laughs> I think, I think I, he's cool. But, but he he just said to me, Justin, turn just turn the volume down on your hearing aids. I'm I'm going to be loud. And I was like, Tyrrell, you can be as loud as you want. I'm here for entertainment. And he was obviously like moaning. He he made a sixty footer that yes, he wasn't trying to yes, make. Yes, yes. Anyway. about ma- making the cut. Had to come back. Yeah. Oh, geez, cut on the so, flight. No refund. So he's. So he's like, says to me, he says, oh my God, why did I make that? And I was like, you just wanted to play golf with me, mate. Just subconsciously, you knew that you would get the opportunity to play with me. And, and here's your consolation prize. You know, I know you spent 10 grand on flights, but here we go. Let's go and have some fun. And he came out, he was 500 through 10. I was 400 through 10 and we're having a good time playing. So, you know, I shot 500, he shot 500 and I walked off the golf course um, on a, it's a tricky, hard golf course especially by the time it dried out and was playing firmer. And uh, those moments, you're like, this is why I do this. This is why I work so hard, just to be able to have a moment where I was, you know, close to going home with nothing. And now, you know, I was able to get some more points, world ranking points and a few more dollars and go on to the next week with a bit of momentum and, and belief. So it's just, we're one week away, one swing away, one moment away from glory. And I think that's what keeps us all going. Well, listen, Justin, thanks very much for making time. Really appreciate it and, and as being as forthcoming as you have been and, um, and, and giving us your time ton- tonight. So much appreciated. That's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, lovely. It would make, be nice to come back down so I can actually play a good brand of golf again. I haven't played well down my home country in a while. So it'd be nice to do that. And uh, obviously in March, I have a couple of weeks to do that. So I'm looking forward to it. That episode of The Long and the Short of It brought to you by Blair Athol Golf and Equestrian Estate the ultimate and secure luxury estate living in the host venue of the 2022 Investec SA Open Championship. A play athlete lifestyle is a priority with a range of outstanding facilities, along with easy access to nearby schools and close proximity to Lanseria International Airport. Visit blairathel.coza, Blair Athol, an unparalleled living experience. There it is, a win for the ages. The long and short of it. Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'd ask our friends, except we don't have any.